Welcome to Rainbow Rated, the podcast where we're going to check out the world of entertainment and bring up some underrated items, characters, locations, events, food, whatever we're going to talk about. And this week, it's all about Doctor Who. Yes, the classic British sci-fi television show. We're going to talk about that and some underrated characters throughout its lifetime of its span. Joining me today are two say entrepreneurs, two very enthusiastic characters of the world that know a lot about Doctor Who probably. We'll find out later on in Rainbow Recall. We have got Sam and Josh. Sam, do you want to tell us about yourself? Uh, yes. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Sam. Yep, that's it. Star of Hit TV game show. <laughs> and we've got Josh. Do you want to introduce yourself? Hello. Uh, I've already been, I've been here before. I was on your LGBT films uh, episode uh, talking about the summer of 85. I finally watched um, Summer of 85. Oh, God, it's heart-wrenching. And the book is... Um, I I know I've got a copy to give you, but yes. anyone that's a fan of, like, films that are... Books that are made into films, I would say this <laughs> film and book is one of the closest comparative whatsoever. Like, there's very little that changes. Oh, yeah. um, cool. So we are going to be talking about Doctor Who. And we have got our later on our Rainbow Recall Doctor Who questions. We've got the Your Rated coming up about spin-offs and our own opinions about Doctor Who characters. But before we get into that, just in case you're not aware of the world of Doctor Who, we have got some facts for you and a top 10. So some of the facts that we've been researching and found out about Doctor Who is that Matt Smith has been the youngest person ever to play the Doctor. Uh, accounts change on his age. I think some say when he got the role and some when he started. But he was about 27 years old when he started playing the Doctor. So there's still hope for some of us. Yet to get that wrong. <laughs> uh, I'm praying. The Daleks have made it into 34 stories, spanning from the very start with William Hartnell all the way up to the current day, they've made it into 34 stories. There have been seven planned spin-offs. Not all of them have happened, but there's been seven in the past. Um, the show's 20th anniversary had five of the Doctors in it. That's the most any amount of Doctors actually appeared until the 50th celebrations. The most watched episode is called The City of Death, which starred the fourth Doctor. Uh, Doctor Who has actually added words to the Oxford English Dictionary. Do you two want to guess uh, which words they might have added into the Oxford English Dictionary? Dalek. Yeah, that is one of them. And the other one? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, Tardis? Yeah. Tardis. Yeah. Sounds oh, wow. basic because it's the two words, but they've been added into the Oxford English Dictionary. It is the longest running sci-fi TV show in the world. And in the early days, so like the first, like the first kind of the 60s and 70s of Doctor Who, uh, there only used to be one take. So they could only afford to do one scene one time. If you fluffed up, you'd either better hope that you could improv on the spot or that someone knew your lines to cover for you. Um, would we like to see that now? Come back. So like Jodie Whittaker comes with her doctor, she just has a one-take line, that is it, or one-take scene, and if they mess it up, that's what goes to where. No. I don't know, because I think I think, <laughs> I think sometimes it can work really well, but other times it's not going to work, especially if, if it's such an important line, um, and then you keep messing it up, you kind of just lose the importance of that line. I mean, there are definitely actors that can do it. Um, Yo, Godja. There's a very small amount of actors that could do stuff like that. Like Leonardo DiCaprio can, has has done that. Um, 
Uh, I think yeah. the famous scene of him in uh, Django Unchained, uh, where he cut his hand open for real, but carried yeah. on the scene. Uh, yeah. But other than that, there's not a lot of actors that could probably do that. So definitely not. Yeah, it's quite rare now. Like rather than doing it in the one take, they do like multiple takes and they'll choose the best one. Like there's a lot of programs that will go, <clears throat> we need to do one scene with it scripted with the lines that we've given you. And then the next time we'll do it. You know the gist of the scene, make it up, do what you want. But this is the point you got across and we'll see which one they've used. Like um, I was watching a film, I was watching The Birdcage recently. And apparently a lot of the scenes mm. with Robin Williams and Nathan Lane were very much, here's one take where it's scripted. And now just do what you want because they are very improv heavy and very kind of bounced off each other very well at that time. Well, I think one of the most famous reiterations of that, especially in British TVs, uh, that uh, the sitcom Outnumbered, because it worked really well with the, uh, the, the parents having the script that they followed, but half the script would be blank and it'd be the kids who were given sort of an outline of how the scene was meant to go, but could talk about anything. And that's definitely what made it a lot more relatable to all audiences because kids come out with the most random things. I mean, I do as well. Like, I mean, mainly kids. Kids pass for it a lot easier than a 21-year-old, but it's, um, it can sometimes make a story get brilliant. <coughs> I mean, it explains a lot because I hate that show. Do you? <laughs> Genuinely, I hate that show <laughs> because the kids are so annoying. That's kind of the idea, though. They're trying to show what real kids yeah. are like. Josh, hard prepare yourself. And what? No, I, I have nieces and nephews, and they're not that annoying. <laughs> I mean, it's very much like this show. I have a script of what I need to go through, and you, and then it just has a massive bit of guests talk, and then we'll see what happens. Because yeah, who knows? Um, Right, so then going on to the top 10 list, this is done from the mirror and it's the top 10 villains of Doctor Who ever to grace our scenes. So, I'm gonna love this. Number 10, we have the Salurian, the Sal- I'm gonna pronounce it totally wrong, I already have the Salarians, Salarians, yep, yeah. Number nine, the Ood, eight clockwork droids. They only appeared in one episode, but apparently they were like, mm-hmm. yeah, they, they, were, they were very good. Um, seventh was the silence, right? Uh, even though you could, you can't, I don't remember who they were. Are you on about? Oh, god, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm I'm here making the dad jokes, it's fine. Um, number six is the Santarans, yeah. Uh, then we've got the Weeping Angels at number five. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Number four is Davros. Yep. Three is the Master slash Missy. Okay. Two is yep. Cybermen. And obviously, mm. to be expected, the top villain of Doctor Who all time is the Daleks. Yeah. I mean, any shockers on that list? Any weird ones? Any ones you expect to be there elsewhere? There are some on the list I definitely wouldn't have had. I think one, especially one when I look at top 10 Doctor Who villains... Um, is I don't like Davros having a spot to himself because he's technically with the Daleks. He created the Daleks mm. in a sense. So if anything, he they should just be paired together. Um, uh, looking out, I'm not surprised where the Daleks and Cybermen are on that list because they're just so iconic. And if yeah. you look down at most of this list, most of the most of these villains are villains that just have appeared in loads of different series across loads of different times across loads of different doctors um 
surprise, clockwork droids made it. They are quite iconic just because of their mission, just to kill Madame de Pompadour, just to use her body parts to, um, to help build their ship. I mean, that's just that's just proper Doctor Who that is. Mm. But all the others, I'm not really surprised about. I'm not a massive fan of the silence, though, because I think that storyline just got dragged on so long and they just randomly appear. A little bit like the Weeping Angels, their story has really dragged on. Um, but I think they announced something that they're appearing again with Jodie Whittaker, so it's nice. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how I think she they deals with them. With the Weeping Angels now. Yeah. Because they were... Um, I about to say Scarlet Moffat. Um, Stephen Moffat's brainchild, <laughs> weren't they? Because he created it in an episode <laughs> during the Russell T. Davis series or run that he brought it full circle. <laughs> so yeah, you kind of think, when he left, they should have been like, right, that's them now gone because that was his sort of brainchild of a villain. But I think it is mainly because you see it a lot with Doctor Who. It's like, we don't know where this is going with the series. So here's mm-hmm. an iconic monster. Yeah. Um, and it is quite annoying just reusing, um, reusing and reusing old villains. <clears throat> No, it's, it's the fact that they oh. keep reusing stuff because it is just a whole... We don't know what we're going to do. So here's yeah. just... There you go. But I think also with the Weeping Angels, it's the, their first episode they're in, which is Don't Blink, which was every now and again, they've got that episode where the Doctor, even though it's an episode of Doctor Who, the Doctor's not heavily featured and it's some person on Earth. Um, and to be fair, she's quite an underrated character, Sally Sparrow. I would have liked to have seen more of her. Um but that episode was so iconic because it was scary and it was it was, it was, ab- it was, it was absolutely terrifying. It was so scary. Um, so I thought if they had just used the Weeping Angels just in that show alone, they still would have been as scary as they as they should be today, but they're not because well, they overworked them, especially in Matt Smith's era. That's it, wasn't it? Because like Stephen was very good at finding something that was in every day and made it scary that way. Um, whereas kind of Russell D. Davis was probably best at creating the long-running arc and hints yeah. of things here or there. <laughs> and obviously, at the moment, Christian is very much, humans are the enemy. Human is what's wrong. And like the villain turns out to be human all along or human-based. Yeah. Um, or something like that. Because like, with this list, like, Ood. Ood aren't villain. They were just puppets of the devil. And then when you see them yeah, again, exactly. they're not villains. So, but... I think with... Um... I think the thing with Chris Chibnall's era is that I, I I totally agree with you when you say that Russell T Davis was better at making the longer stories like Bad Wolf and um, the um, Cult of Scarra and everything like that. He was brilliant. And uh, Moffat was a lot better at creating the shorter stories, but wasn't very good, especially with the longer ones, especially when they, it spent a whole series when the, doc, when the Impossible Astronaut was the first episode and the Doctor had been killed, but it took until the rest of the series to find out what had actually happened. And then we'll go to different planets and everything and pretend like that never happened. My thing with Chris Chibnall is he's very much taken his writing from Broadchurch, so like a detective show, and brought it over to Doctor Who to make, and now Jodie Whittaker's Doctor seems very detective-like. I suppose it's a different take on it because I spot she's the 13th Doctor. Yeah. Uh, so like I suppose after seeing 12 different iterations of it it's like what can we do now so we'll make a slightly detective mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. we'll go from there to see what it was but yeah because of that like it's her i suppose it's his version of her 
So it'd be quite interesting to see obviously where they go next and what they did with other ones because there's um so you can see slight changes throughout the doctors where they kind of take on past iconic versions of each other, but well yeah. see from there what they do next. I've got I hopes though, because he brought back the Jadoon. He brought back the Jadoon and made it a really good episode. Apart from the um my issue with Doctor Who is when they start bringing like doctors in. So like they had the war doctor, fair enough because it was nice to see what the doctor did during the time war but then they've got i don't i can't even i can't even remember her name uh the woman who jodie whittaker met who yes. said she was the doctor but she was one of the very older reiterations of the doctor i was like you're now complicating it for me now yeah like and i don't know where you fit into the time period yeah with that sort of stuff you gotta think how far back does it go then mm-hmm. don't confuse me any more than i already am exactly. <laughs> yeah like is it pre Hartnell? So like Hartnell to Whitaker is like one version, <laughs> and then this new Doctor is like way way back, mind wiped, did like twelve regenerations and wiped it, wiped their brain to then go, oh look, brand new Doctor, but not really, but kind of. So it's yeah, yeah. it'll be interesting to see where this arc uh, eventually leads them. <laughs> It's now time to talk about our underrated characters. Uh, so you'll hear from me, you'll hear from Josh, and you'll hear from Sam. We'll talk about different characters. I'm actually kind of going, keeping with the Doctor Who theme, but kind of going to a spin-off. I'm going to the Sarah Jane Adventures to talk about Luke Smith, played by Tommy Knight. Now, Luke uh, was one of the characters first introduced only in Sarah Jane Adventures in Invasion of the Bane. He was created by the Bane to kind of be this powerful overall person that knew a lot of information. Uh, kind of very smart because they took the DNA samples and samples of brain scans from over a thousand people and put it all into this one kind of humanoid character. Uh, I quite like Luke as a character because he's kind of like a brain smart that you don't really see in a lot of young characters so it's quite nice to have that area into it but we also have this kind of social ineptitude uh, which they kind of they wrote as a link of him being quite young um, kind of but as being a teen straight away so we didn't have those like 13 years of growing up to try and learn skills but I think for kids watching it at the time there was almost this kind of link that they could find because he was being quite awkward and unaware in certain social situations and a lot of teens I think took that almost as a character they could know and fall in love with because in the show itself, you had Clyde, who was kind of knew what he was doing and knew who he was and quite sure of a person. You had Maria and then you had Varani, who kind of also were kind of investigative, kind of kind of curiosity quite a lot. Whereas Luke was still trying to learn about his way around the world. Um, there was the, obviously, unfortunately, Sarah Jane Adventures had to finish because of the untimely passing of Elizabeth Sladen. But Russell T. Davison said, said there were going to be a storyline of Luke uh, coming out coming out of the closet as gay so that they could have in air quotes a normal gay character on the show so there's not like a stereotypical gay character that a lot of TV shows were doing at the time it was just someone people could relate to and going see this is it gays can be normal too um and there's actually a cut line from one of the episodes that sarah jane says to luke going you're off your university now you'll grow up you'll find a girlfriend and he'll turn around to sarah jane and go oh could find a boyfriend and then like leave um, because it's his way in the world and wanting to find out what was going on and later on we learn about his relationship status and his sexual orientation from the kind of the web episode that he then created as a farewell to Sarah Jane the fact he's um, 
met someone and been married for five years and had a kid and stuff. And that was quite nice because it kind of resonated as people grew up to see characters grow up as well. But also it was kind of hope because at the time this was what? Um, late noughties, early tens, it was kind of happening. Yeah. And there still wasn't a lot of gay characters on the screen, especially for teens as well. So it was quite nice to see that there unfortunately didn't happen, but the plan was ahead to go and do that. Like, yes, Doctor Who is quite known for doing different types of characters like Captain Jack being omnisexual and then in torture with <coughs> Danto Jones, Day and Captain Jack and a few other shows. But there wasn't really one for the teenage based. So that was quite nice to see him there, see him appear. And because he was still learning, it kind of gave, yeah, kids a way to kind of learn through TV a little bit on how to be. And if you're awkward, it's okay to be awkward because not everyone's going to learn and know every social situation. So it's okay to have questions. And as long as you've got like good friends around you that will help you out, uh, that'll be good. He was then written out a little bit because at the same time, the actor was doing his GCSEs and had to leave because obviously he wanted to do both, but needed time to uh, revise and get ready for it. And then because his character was quite smart, they boosted him up a little bit because then the plan was for the next series, they were actually going to get rid of the older characters to bring in new characters. So that obviously it kept kind of a similar age range. Um, but that's why I quite like Luke because he kind of had that smartness, but also he was learning. And I think that kind of helps quite a lot of people learn in society a little bit too. Uh, what do you guys think of Luke as a character? I liked Luke. Uh, Barrett, mind, I thought he was fit, I'm not going to lie. So I liked Luke. Um, <laughs> I, had no, I had no idea that he was... Um, I, I had an idea that he was going to come out and be gay because I read that post saying that Russell T. Davis would have made him gay. But I think at the same time, I think seeing what Russell T. Davis came out with saying that he thinks that gay characters should be played by gay actors I'm not sure if the character the actor who plays Luke is actually gay I don't think he is but I think yeah there, there, it did get to a point where especially in the later series when Luke got went off to university um, he, he did become a very underrated character um, and it, it got to a point where you were you was missing him because it, it was just then Sarah Jane, Rani and Clyde and you were like yeah but Luke's not here now, and so it, the group already feels a bit empty. Um, but the final series, the final episode, they kind of gave Luke before he went to university, where he faced the Nightmare Man. That was a very good send off because that episode was very good. I don't think I've and seen that. Fun, fun fact for you as well: the guy who played the Nightmare Man also played um, played the ring played the ringmaster in the tortured episode Into the Night. And played Davros, plays the most up to date version of Davros. Yes, there's a, keep, there's a lot of keep, crossover. Keep it in the actors. franchise. Keep it in the uh, franchise. Because <laughs> the girl that played Rani actually played the um, villain in a recent Jodie Whittaker episode as yes, well. Yes, I saw um, that. Like a kind of spider style creature, not one from yeah. the David Tennant one, but yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's, the one, it's the one set in Victorian times with the I think the guy who made the light bulb or something with Edison. Tesla and Edison yeah yeah yeah. she's the villain in that um, I I loved Luke especially uh, watching Sarah Jane Adventures growing up I think a lot of people kind of did though because especially people around like his age range it was as you said it was good to like, see someone who was still learning developing um in what a crazy world he's kind of just been dragged into. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people could relate to the character because the similar age, age range. Um, 
get quite a nervous kid, to be honest, in the entire show. Um, definitely right, it's me, because God knows I was terrified as a child at <laughs> everything. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I really did like his character. It was good to see him in a, because in, I believe he was in some Doctor episodes. Um, yeah, when they did all the crossovers together. Yeah, that that's definitely that the all the crossover episode one of my favorite. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's yeah, already it was nice just to add him in, kind of add him into the universe mm. a little bit because he'd already met the Doctor in like a Sarah Jane Adventure episode, uh, like David Tennant era Doctor, and then kind of yeah, yeah. to add him in a little bit and have that little bit with Mister Smith and K Nine, even though it wasn't a big part of it, it was just kind of nice to add it all together. Um, and fact, if you don't know, like there's a bit where when David Tennant's doing his goodbyes to everyone and he saves Luke from like being run over, there's an Easter egg in that because apparently during the filming of Sarah Jane Adventures, the kids didn't look both ways before they crossed the street. They just ran across the street because obviously acting wise, they knew if a car was coming or not. So they actually <laughs> played the fact that the kids, because the kid actors forgot to look, that's where they wrote the story of Doc- the doctor saving Luke's life. Because literally the kids okay. didn't look whenever they crossed over when they were acting. So it was like, oh, we're right. Yeah. This is a little in-joke for ourselves. Well, that's quite clever. So I am going to be talking about uh, Wilfred Mott, played by Bernard Cribbins. Um, again, I'm not going to ramble like I did in the last episode. I will just quickly get to the reasons why I think he is so underrated. Um, he did have, he was in quite a bit of stories, especially in the, well, with the David Tennant era. Um, but is I think people don't really talk about how he has affected a lot of people. Like his stories, the, the parts that he's in are quite heartbreaking. He has a lot of touching moments. Um, I'm quite an emotional person anyway, but when I'm chilling to watch TV show, I don't expect, you know, to start bawling just because a man is speaking. Um, it is really simple things. Uh, I have actually got a couple of quotes um, to go, that I could read out um, from him. I think one of the more, what is it? Uh, one of the more funny moments is when he he's alone with the doctor, uh, walking towards the TARDIS, and David Tennant turns to him and says, you can't come with me. He says, you can't leave me with her. <laughs> um, he's just got his sense of humor is so natural. Like he's one of the only characters that actually feels like a real person. Like he's just somebody's granddad. Like I, like you can see, like I can see my own granddad in him. Like he's just a silly man that just likes to make everyone laugh and make sure everyone's okay. Because his relationship with the Doctor becomes like a father and son and it's something i loved watching um what was the quote that happens with david tennant um so i have these written down somewhere hold on oh it's david tennant when he's uh when he sat down with him he says david tennant says to him i'd be proud and he's like what As a, to call you a dad that it's just the small moments that he isn't even like that much of a part of because it's not his line. It's just the small moments he is a part of that just bring joy 
to the people watching. Um, and I don't think, because when I ever talk to people about Doctor Who, they don't talk about that a lot. They don't talk about him as a character. Because I think it is because he's in an era where people love, because it's Donna Noble, people love Donna Noble as a, as a companion. But um, again, when people talk about it, they don't really bring him up. I think that's quite strange. Um, again, I'm not going to ramble too much. <laughs> um, but there's a, there is a moment with him that I completely forgot about it until I was doing research for this episode. And I can't, and I can't really remember the episode it was in, but it's a moment where he's talking to, um, I can't remember the episode, I really can't, but it's someone, he's talking to somebody in a TV. Yes, the um, end of time, like David Tennant's final episodes, like the Christmas New Year one. Yes, and um, the lady says to him, you were too late, the war was won and passed you by. He says, I did my duty. She replies, you never killed a man. And he responds with, no, no, don't say that. Like, it's shameful. And, I don't, like, it shows you the kind of person he is. He fought in a war and he didn't kill a soul because he's not the person he is. He, he, yeah. didn't, he never wanted to kill. He never will kill. And the last thing I'll mention is he's part of probably the new... In my opinion, one of the best storylines, and that's the four knocks. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Because you kept hearing he will knock four times. And when you did eventually hear someone knock four times and it's him standing behind the glass door and he says, if you could just let me out. No one, no one ever predicted it was going to be him. No, and it broke uh my heart. <laughs> it really did. From from the looks that David Tennant's doctor was giving, I think it kind of broke his heart as well. It did. David Tennant put so much emotion into that role, especially that final speech where oh, Wilfred, you could... Wilfred's like, "Oh, just go, leave me." And the doctor's like, "All right, then, yeah, I will." Because I think he's not angry at Wilfred because he's understood. I think when it comes back to the woman saying, um, "Like, oh, he did his duty and everything," but she went. You never killed a man. But those four knocks were to point the death of the doctor. Yeah, he, he didn't get a gun and shoot the doctor, but his his uh, point of getting trapped was to outside. So someone died because of him. He necessarily yeah. might not have killed them, but someone died because of him. But I think that just proves that when she was like, he was like, I did my duty. You can see there that he's, He's willing to sacrifice himself to save other people. And even though I think he would have been a bit disheartened if the doctor had left him, because you could see the surprise on his face, um, he, he would be one of those people who would stand in front of the doctor and take a bullet or anything like that. Yeah. And it's what makes him the best side character, in my opinion. And yeah. He's one of, do he's not one talk of the, about him enough. He's one of the great British actors oh, in, like, numerous carry-on films and everything like that so get him in especially I think to attract the older audiences who followed the classic series um, brilliant I mean he only appeared in the first in the Christmas special uh, Voyage of the Damned with Kylie Minogue and he was only in a little newspaper stand 
and he was the yeah. only one out there because he said he wasn't because everyone weren't out because of everything that happened on all the other Christmases. He wasn't scared of the aliens or anything like that. To add even more emotion into Bernard Crippen's character, he was actually only meant to do that cameo in the newspaper yeah. stand. He wasn't meant to be her grandpa. Um, so like some people know, some people don't. But the actor playing Donna Noble's father in the Christmas special she was in, he filmed like the first episode. So when Donna and the Adipose was in, the actor playing her father filmed it. Unfortunately, he passed away due to cancer. I was so going to say because... They actually asked Bernard Cribbins in because they actually made him a character. So Russell T. Davis wrote in the fact that... Um, so like when she was like, went to go see her grandpa up on the hill with the telescope, it was a shock <laughs> to all the fans to go, oh, that's the guy from the newspaper stand. So then when he yeah. saw the doctor at the end of the episode, like he saw the doctor and was like, oh, that's who you've been after. So there was a kind of, yeah. So uh, it's a sad story, the fact that without the passing of one act of the, of the actor, they wouldn't have had this storyline and Wilford wouldn't have been uh, an assistant. What, one thing that kind of does make me think though, because I'm trying to think back now, is because Runaway Bride, the first time he saw Donna Noble and her family, as far as I can picture back, and to be fair, I haven't seen that episode in a very long time, Bernard Cribbins, bearing in mind he's Donna's granddad, isn't in that at all. But Jeffrey Noble is her father. Yeah. And then uh, he appears, and then Bernard Cribbins appears in the next Christmas special. Yeah. But I don't don't positive he's not in that. No, he he he, he doesn't appear in the Runaway Bride. I think that's like just I think they wrote it like he was under the weather or an event, like you know something in the script. But yes, like it kind of. It was a nice gesture, and adding him in obviously gave this beautiful moments because there is that bit where he's on the like where he's on the ship, isn't he? And like mm-hmm. Bernard Cribbin says something to David, telling like, "Oh, you're too young to die." And he's like, "Oh no, I'm older than you think." And it's kind of a nice little, as you said, fam- uh, father son. But then mm-hmm. within one moment, it's almost then flipped as well. So like David Tennant's and almost the father to his son, going, "I'm old enough to like obviously." be your great-great-great-great-grandfather. But... Yeah, it is like it, it's a father-son relationship, but who's the father and who's the son? Who's re- who's really the, the father in this? Uh, the be- the in best scene world. that Bernard Cribbins ever had with the Doctor was, it was in, um, was it, it was called The End of Time, wasn't it, that series? That that little David yeah, Tennant's last yeah. two episodes. Yeah, and it was, the fir- it was in the first episode where he'd, must have bumped into the doctor and they were in a small cafe literally sitting just in front of each other and they were just talking and it's one of the best scenes I've ever filmed in Doctor Who and then there was a cut scene and we saw Donna with a new husband and everything and the doctor was really happy that um the doctor was really happy that she was happy but the thing about um Wilfred was that he was never happy unless the doctor was happy and he used to always say that especially when he when the doctor left Donna uh, he was like what are you going to do now? And he's there walking off in the rain. And I tell you, it started, someone posted this. If you listen to that month, those two talk in that final scene um, and watch the doctor walk off to the TARDIS in the rain, someone edited and cut all the music out of it. And it was just them talking, you could hear the rain. And it's so sad. It's like even more emotional. That, that scene, I, I still think of it, even when I'm not watching Doctor Who, just because of how well acted that entire scene was. It's just two people talking with the yeah. soul intent when, of making the crap, making everyone watch it, everyone watching it cry. It was like it was like the words of um, "Every night I'll look up and I'll think of you." 
an absolute or something along those lines. Oh, yeah. I have, you the quote. I have, a, I have a quote for you. Uh, every night, Doctor, when it gets dark and the stars come out, I'll look up on her behalf. I'll look up at the sky and think of you. And the Doctor replies, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's brilliant. But part of me thinks this is also why, like, mm. Russell T. Davis was amazing for Doctor Who. Because I think he was, all yeah. his other work, he has these lines and his words. And, uh, like, the other directors and showrunners have had these moments as well kind of mainly with like the doctor's goodbye speeches but yeah like, russell t davis wrote this not even not as a throwaway comment but it was literally like this is it this is the last we're going to see of these people now we're not going to hear mm-hmm. from the nobles again and this was literally someone going i know i can't because of her but i don't want you to be alone and it's like when um, yeah david Tennant was doing his farewell tour and how happy wilford was when he that saw he him at the wedding him. and he was like, look, he's there. See, he didn't die. Told you, you get through it. Ha 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 ha. And he's like, <laughs> and like, you know, the face of the doctor going, I can't tell you that I'm about to go, go die because you're so happy to yeah. see me just one more time. But it was nice to give him a winning lottery. And I think it even connected so much as well that um, <laughs> when he was like, oh, so I just went back in time, borrowed a quid off a really nice man. Jeffrey Noble, his name was, and you can see Donna's mom getting really emotional, obviously, because it's her husband. And then Wilfred's getting emotional because it's his son-in-law and everything, and just passes him the leaflet, and it's a lottery ticket. And then Donna mentions it's a triple rollover, so you can kind of foreshadow what's happened. So my underrated character, I'm going for the villain, going into... Uh, nor I'm going into reimagined Doctor Who, so 2005 onwards, and I've picked star of the Christmas special Runaway Bride, the Empress of the Ragnos, or just the Ragnos in general. I bloody love them, or her, because she was the only one. Um, I think with the Ragnos, it was. I think we were waiting so long in Doctor Who to have some form of spider-like creature. They're one of the biggest fears on the planet that it, one just needed to appear. And I was very impressed with what they came up with. Just the fact of, it got to a point of when David Tennant's doctor saw that he was dealing with the Ragnos, how scared he looked. Because I think it was the first time, apart from seeing the Daleks of the Cybermen, the doctor's been truly scared about seeing um, like a monster, apart from when she turned off. And it was great. It was just better that she was the Empress. You know, she was the Queen Bee in a sense. And it was kind of like when researching about the Ragnos that it is uh, the Ragnos do act like bees and everything. There's the queen or the empress and her duty is to lay the egg. So every other Ragnos is her child. So um, having, think, having thought about that, the only way she'd get pregnant is by getting impregnated by her children. But, you know, alien races, they can do what they want. Um, I just the whole appeal of just some massive red spider is just I just think it's fucking incredible absolutely incredible and she's scary she's got two she's very humanoid from like the waist up which i think is kind of needed even though it does look a bit weird i think it's definitely one of the better imagined uh creatures that they've made um i just love her and she's got that really kind of creepy voice and she can use human particles and she can control droids um she's just brilliant I love her. And the only thing I wish we had got to have seen was her actual, like the actual children. Because the whole series, she talks about them because they're dormant. 
But um, we don't get to see them because the Doctor does have to kill them. And I loved how um, when the Doctor was talking about how time's all formed and then one rock in space suddenly gets a gravitational pull and all the other rocks and the dust and everything form around it and cause the Earth. I love that the Ragnos's ship is that first rock that pulls everything together. So in a sense, it's like the Ragnos have been there from the very beginning, but have just literally been dormant until Don and Noble decided to get married. Isn't the Ragnos, is it played by Sarah Lancashire, isn't it? Or someone like that? Yes, like quite, I think yeah. so. I like they did a very slow reveal, didn't they? Because you can you only see her back or her legs tapping the screen, and so it's a very yeah. slow reveal as a villain as well, which they don't really do. It's very much look is villain um, mm-hmm. nowadays. So it's quite a nice reveal of the villain, and yeah, I think for a Christmas special as well, like there was a lot going on for that one episode. So it had yeah. like, the Doctor for a while being alone and his reaction, the comedy of Donna Noble, um, the introduction of like Harold Saxon just as a name itself. Yeah. Um, but like to see that and kind of all play out from this one character, this one creature, like it's quite mm-hmm. Im- immense how much power or like dominantness they had as well. It's also it's also been stated that the Ragnos are they're either closely resembled to or they're distant relatives of the uh, Skithra, who are the scorpion-like creatures in the Tesla and Edison episode. The one where the queen is played by the girl who plays Rani from Sarah Jane Adventures because they're very closely represented. And when um, that trailer for that series was teased, a lot of people thought, oh, okay, they're bringing back the Ragnos, but they weren't, it was a different creature. But I think when people start anticipating, oh, they're going to bring back this villain, it kind of shows the hype that this villain does have. I think like, it's like what you said is quite important because like she's a villain that looks scary. In the history mm-hmm. of Doctor Who, most of the villains aren't scary looking. Like, think yeah. back to the, the, the first ever Daleks and the Daleks now. They're not scary looking. The Cybermen, mm-hmm. they're not scary looking. They're I like, think the scary, with the Cybermen, I think the scariest looking Cybermen literally are the first time we see them in the rebooted episode in the parallel arc with David Tennant and mm. Rose and the parallel P and the parallel Jackie and everything like that. I think they look terrifying. Because they're literally, they all look identical. They're all just these massive metal walking machines. Whereas in the yeah. newer Doctor Who's, where they've tried to bring back, like, um, the the Mondasian Cybermen and them and um, the olden time Cybermen and everything like that. And then the newer versions that are all blue and everything. I think it, you, I think they are, in a sense, wrecking the appearance of the Cybermen, in a sense. The Daleks can stay the Daleks. But I don't, I do think that they don't need to bring back what they used to look like because if you bring back yeah. what they used to look like you think why didn't you just make everyone look like that yeah but I think it's I think it says a lot about a villain that when like as a horror fan but you look at a villain mm-hmm. from something that's not horror and you would like if you say if someone showed you a picture of her and said mm-hmm. that's a horror film you wouldn't question it because you'd be like that's terrifying yeah and like even because whenever you someone says her name that image mm-hmm. of her hissing just comes straight into yeah. your head. Because I remember watching that episode for the first time, and I'm not scared of spiders. I'm not. No, I'm not, I'm a not person either. Who is, but that terrifies me. Yeah, and it was when the doctor was then trying to inform Donna about who the Ragnos were, and he was saying they come from like the dark times, like 
made me before time and everything like that and the fact that they're that they could if they wanted to devour whole planets and she's there literally backing up her own species going well we're born starving that's not my fault <laughs> yeah so she's like trying to condone what they do but at the same time going well well i'm born hungry i'm gonna do that exactly and i think she, I, I generally think she's it's good villain writing oh god 100 very very and good then, villain writing then at the end when she because i think the only issue i had with arachnos is to be fair even though she's very very clever she's very very tactile especially the empress she was a bit stupid believing donna someone from earth would know the species of the doctor i mean they don't she doesn't really know how long they've known each other and at that point they didn't so donna just used to call her mars man and martian and everything so the Ragnos believed that and then when the doctor said he was from gallifrey she was shocked and she was terrified because of the time lords being in a sense those keepers of the peace just watching all the countries and the Ragnos of course i'm guessing so much trouble back in the day that the time lords had to intervene and kill them because and he was like i warned you you had a choice and you did this to yourself and plus that episode also builds onto donna becoming a mainstream companion and then with the episode tan left when the doc if donna had never met the doctor then the doctor would have tried to kill the rachnos and killed her but in the same time killed himself because he would have died he would have drowned and then not had enough time to regenerate all because of someone getting married that says more about the person getting married though like the replacement of donna obviously either didn't care or was as murderous as the doctor or was like oh maybe we should leave now obviously they must have been like either died or going now nah, you're yeah. burn so it's like that would have been interesting to see how it would have worked from his point of view like who oh, 100%. instead being like the chosen bride but oh no but absolutely the rachnos definitely fitted in so perfectly with that storyline because it wasn't like they created a story then which unfortunately they'd kind of do with a lot of the new ones that they build the storyline then add a villain in it seems like the it was written with some form of spider-like creature in line and the 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 death star or the starship that she's got i can't remember what she calls it that literally she summons down from earth just to harvest humans to when her children eventually get up from the centre of the earth and they could just feast. I think, brilliant. True, yeah, because if you look about it, she's using herself and her ship and she's doing all this with one of her, whereas like the Daleks and Cybermen had to have armies and armies of themselves to take over the earth. But whereas for her, it was just like one ship and one her that could basically do as much damage for, well, London. But (laughs) like, unchecked, could have been the world. It's that time of the podcast where we are going to test our guest knowledge with Rainbow Recall. And obviously, it's all about Doctor Who. The five questions are all about Doctor Who based. And yes, so far, we have had a lot of information about the rebooted Doctor Who. But some of these questions will also involve the old Doctor Who as well. So let's see how much you know. Also, maybe a few special questions out there. For example, question number one. Once you know, guys, you can work together as a team or individually. It's up to you. Because there are a few questions you might have to work together to find out. Who played the Doctor in the comic relief special written by Stephen Moffat way back in the early 90s? Oh. Have you got any ideas, Josh, to begin with? 
No. There I'm are five answers here, including what some would call the first female doctor. But obviously it's a comic <laughs> relief special, so it's... Yeah, yeah. I feel like I've seen this somewhere. Um, but I'm trying to think now. I'm literally trying to wrap my brain. I can tell now it's probably going to be a bunch of comedians. But I can't think of them. You are half right. Mm-hmm. We've got um, two comedians, definitely. Uh, right. Mainly actors. Some of them are actors. One has... One has for my knowledge, um, one of these has actually appeared in Doctor Who themselves um, against Matt Smith and Jenna Louise Coleman. Mm-hmm. Um, the others, from my knowledge, haven't appeared in Doctor Who officially. I genuinely think, because I swear I've seen him, and I don't know whether it was just like a black adder. Mock, I think Rowan Atkinson's one. He is, yes, he is the oh, one. Wow. He took the lead for most of this special. Mm-hmm. Then I'll, I'll tell you the answers to stop you wondering. Uh, he then regenerated into, in no particular order, Hugh Grant, uh, Richard E. Grant. Okay, I could see Richard E. I could see like he was in Star Wars, Richard E. Grant as just being a massive knockoff villain. Mind you, he was, weren't he? Because he was in Doctor Who. What am I thinking of? Never mind. Ignore me. Uh, Jim Broadbent was another version of the Doctor. Okay. And Joanna Lumley. <laughs> I'd love to have seen that. If you, it's a thing. It's on YouTube, like Doctor Who comic relief special. It's the two part because it's about sixteen minutes. Because there's a whole big thing with Jonathan Page. No, I've forgotten his name now. Um, he right, plays, right, right. but. There's a quite a big thing of it, and it's quite funny. Um, so then watch that. Question two, simple. What does TARDIS stand for? Time and relative oh. dimension in space. Well done. Good teamwork. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. You answered that way too quickly. <laughs> he's like he was expecting that question. Right. It's a, who, classic, it's a classic quiz question. Who has been the longest lasting doctor? In terms Tom of Baker. years or episodes, Tom Baker, David Tennant. Yeah. I think it goes Tom Baker then David Tennant because there, I think there was a while where I wanted to disbelieve that Tom Baker had done more. But so I'm sure, it's I'm sure it's Tom Baker. Tom Baker was but David the Tennant did a lot more specials. Tom Baker was the Doctor for six years and nine months, whereas David Tennant was it for just under five or round five, and oh, Tom yeah. Baker. It's difficult. The, the, in episodes, it's quite difficult because for the old Doctor, they did like a four-part special, but that was like four individual episodes technically, whereas like for us now, it'd be one. They split across mm-hmm. four. So Tom Baker actually did 172 episodes as the wow. Doctor. So wow. that was a long time of period. Um, who, but yes, for reboot, Davidson is the longest-running Doctor, I believe. Um, who is the longest-running assistant? Unfortunately, none of the new ones in the reboot had actually made the top of this list. I wouldn't think they would have, to be honest. I'm going to go really for one of the only assistants that I know who crossed two doctors, and I'll say Sarah Jane Smith. Right idea, wrong assistant. So ah. there's an assistant called Tegan. Um, it's going to be my home. Uh, Tegan 
Jehaviton, who I think did the same where she was with two doctors, or they were with two doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, and Sarah Jane Smith was second. It's like taken just oh, okay. the post. And in episodes, it was Jamie McCurran, who I think was in like the first couple of series. Like Jamie, the name Jamie's appeared quite a lot. Um, and he appeared yeah. in like 113 episodes as an assistant to the doctor mm-hmm. as well. Oh, wow. So Tegan did longer, but Jamie was in more episodes. Yeah. Uh, and who was the first ever villain of Doctor Who? Um, well, in the reboot, it was the Autons, but overall, it. Oh. Fuck it, I'm going to say Daleks. I don't think it is the Daleks. I think the Daleks were like four episodes in. <clears throat> but then the Cybermen didn't appear until. Um, Patrick Troughton, I think. I think you know, there's a part because the Autons were also in Doctor, also in the classic. So whether they just brought them back, so I'm actually very tempted to say the Autons. So yeah, I'll say the Autons. So there's a bit of debate to this one because the very first villain was called Cal, mm-hmm. and he was a Stone Age caveman, and he was, but he wasn't okay. like a villain as a bad guy like the Daleks and Cybermen. It was more, he tried to have the power and he tried to steal the power from someone else who was in charge of the tribe sort of thing. But the Daleks were the first kind of villain-esque of like, they are the bad villain of the series. Mm -hmm. So, Mm. and although the Daleks appeared second, because it was the second episode, it was actually technically the fourth episode they appeared in because the first three episodes were dedicated to the Stone Age (laughs) storyline. Fair enough. It's like, you got it right at the same time. Awesome. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know who got the points there, but I would probably say I think Sam kind of won the overall round of Rainbow Recall. It's now time for your rated where we're going to ask you guys to rate some of the suggestions we've had in. And we're looking at spin-offs. So I'm going to give you a spin-off of Doctor Who. All you've got to do is say overrated if you think it's kind of overrated. Rated if mm-hmm. it's all right, but could do like a bit more of a uh, knowledge, or if it's totally underrated itself. As we said earlier in the podcast, there's been seven planned spin offs. Some of these are spin offs, but also kind of extra storylines along the way. So we're going to start off with the classic, which is Torchwood. Right. Um, yeah, rated. I think with Torchwood series one and two were brilliant. They were just like normal Doctor Who, but for adults, when Torchwood then started having six episodes dedicated to one storyline children of earth was phenomenal miracle day was absolutely shocking so i feel like torchwood does need to be rebooted and i know they've been talking that, about that for a number of years um but yeah for for what it is it's rated uh, the underrated. sarah jane adventures underrated underrated way underrated that show because was amazing a lot of, i think a lot of people also saw it as a kids program as well where yes it is in a sense, but there are still a lot of growing up themes in it. Um, Canine and Company. So this was about this was a show filmed in Australia, made for Australian television, where Canine got shot and upgraded himself to be a hovering dog with four legs. Like it was still a metal dog, but he used, he, he found some friends and it was called Canine and Company. Never seen it. I just can't say. I'm <laughs> not seeing it. Doesn't sound very good. Um, <laughs> class. I'm not sure about class because I've watched, I've not watched them all, but I've watched a good couple of episodes, and it's like someone's spread Doctor Who out and said, right, 
Sarah Jane Adventures is for kids. Torchwood is for very mature adults. Doctor Who's for everyone. Class is for the teenage group. And I didn't personally think they needed to do that. And there was only one series of class. And I think it is a bit overrated when I hear people talk about how good it is. I could don't have been a lot better. Ever seen it. So class was a BBC three series. Like Sam said, it was kind of focused for teens. A lot of people think it came too soon and it could have worked with them. But they took the idea of the schools that Clara worked at and like the school that had been mentioned through quite a lot of Doctor Who history. They gave it a massive upgrade so it looked like a college site. Um, and basically had a prince that was on the run with his royal assassin that couldn't kill people and lots of aliens because the school was like a temporal point in time that because of the TARDIS and the Doctor, a lot of aliens wanted to visit. Someone lost a leg and it was weird. It was, it had potential. Like the idea was there. The execution just wasn't. It sounds terrible. <laughs> it it did, to be fair, the trailer looks brilliant. It just yeah. wasn't a good thing. And I think, uh, um, yeah, it did need a lot of work. And Dreamland. It was an animated spin-off with Martha and the Doctor, kind of an animated series. Again, didn't even know that existed. I didn't know that existed. So I personally can't give my input on it. But I will say one thing that does annoy me about Doctor Who, and I know there are a lot of diehard fans out there, myself included, but I, I am a firm believer of when the Doctor regenerates and all companions do leave, then in a sense, you are meant to miss the variations of the Doctor you grew up with and stuff. So stuff like the audio books and the book and just the novels, the graphic novels they make and everything. Um, I'm not a fan of that because then you're still trying to keep up with hang on a minute we're in Jodie Whittaker's timeline here. they've just brought out three new audio books with Christopher Rackerson as the Doctor and you know did the season so I think I'm very much to stick everything to the one Doctor you're with now and if the Doctor wants to return then they can do some sort of Christmas special and everything like that but if, if this if this came out during uh, David Tennant and Freeman Rangman's time then fair enough but, it did yeah it was kind of like oh, a spin okay, so fair enough then yeah that is it for this episode of rainbow ray thank you so much to my guests josh and sam for joining us and taking part in today's episode don't forget you can follow us like us share us subscribe us tweet us whatever you want guys on twitter we are at rainbow rated on instagram we are at rainbow rated underscore official on facebook we are rainbow rated we've got a page there if you want to get involved if you've got any ideas for future podcasts of what we should look at as underrated if you've got any topics films characters yourself you want to say just want to shout out if you want to chat if you want to send a message that is all available for you on facebook instagram and twitter as well guys so this will be it for the series one of rainbow rated next time we have got a blooper outtake special coming up as well and then We'll be back later on this year with season two. We're going to mix it up a little bit, change a few of the settings, maybe see what happens. So keep an eye on our social media streams. There we might be doing a few random polls and tests throughout anyway, just to keep you guys up in date and to find out what is underrated recently. So keep an eye on all those channels. Once again, thank you to my guests. Thank you guys for listening. If you've liked us, if you've enjoyed it, rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your loved ones, tell your enemies, tell your friends. Shout from the rooftops. Although please don't shout from the rooftops unless it's safe to do so. Thank you so much, guys, for joining in, taking part, and stay safe.